Welcome to House Call with Dr. Mac, where you get a real doc with straight talk for the whole you. We're so excited to see how the community is growing. You guys are listening as far as Spain, United Kingdom, China, Australia, France, Canada, and the United States. There are more of you that are joining the community. It's so exciting to see the map starting to just get populated. We want to continue to hear from you. You can reach us at our Gmail account. That's realdoc74 at gmail.com. That's R-E-A-L-D-O-C 74 at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at realdoc74. You can even follow us on Instagram at realdoc74. We tweet about how we can have healthier living. We Instagram pictures of how we're choosing to win the day with alternate modes of transportation. (laughs) Go see check that out. So we are actually putting together some series and conversations because of what you have said you want us to tackle. And I'm just going to give you a little hint of what's coming up. You guys have asked us to tackle what goes in our mouths. That's going to be exciting. And I have just the perfect person to have this conversation with. So stay tuned for that. Today, we went back to our kids corner. We're in the community with Dr. Keisha Frazier Doe. If you remember from her last conversation, she's a pediatric emergency medicine physician who works at Emory University Children's Healthcare. Her passion is helping us understand how these little people are not just little people. They're unique individuals who need special care. The last time she was here, she helped us understand how we can help keep them healthy during that nasty flu season, that October to April time frame. And now we're back because there's a new season She calls it trauma season. It's that wonderful sports season. You're out, you're about, the weather is nice, you're on your bikes, you're doing team sports. So we sat down and we tackled, (laughs) pun intended, we tackled the subject of concussions. So if you are a parent, if you stand in the gap of that parenthood, or if you are a guardian, if you are a teacher, a coach, a mentor, if you're around young people that are active in sports, I would really encourage you to grab a pen and paper. She gave us some very interesting points that you may want to jot down. If you are a healthcare provider, you can actually connect with Dr. Frazier Doe through her bi-monthly newsletter to community pediatricians entitled PEM Connect. It's where she helps the healthcare providers in different communities come together and facilitate the communication of medical issues to the community. If you have any questions, healthcare providers or parents or um, just in the community, you can actually 
talk to Dr. Frazier Doe through her email address. She gives that at the end of our podcast, but we're going to give it here as well. It's Keisha, K-I-E-S-H-A dot Frazier, F-R-A-S-E-R at Emory dot E-D-U. That's Keisha, Keisha at Emory dot E-D-U. So let's get started. Let's sit down. Let's have this conversation. Let's connect these dots. Let's get some straight talk. So welcome back to House Call with Dr. Mack. We're back in the community with our favorite pediatrician from Atlanta, Georgia, Dr. Keisha Frazier-Doe. Welcome back, Dr. Doe. Thank you. Thank you. So last time we sat down, it was a while ago, and we were exploring um, our kids' corner We were talking about some of the illnesses that kids can have. We were specifically talking seasonally at the time when it was we were talking about colds and viruses and how we could keep our kids healthy. And you mentioned in that conversation that the season for injuries was fast approaching. And with the sun out, the skies are blue, the temperature is rising, it's now sports season. So we're going to come back now with you and sit down and talk about broken bones and head butts and all types of injuries that you've seen. And we're going to especially focus on the, the area of concussions. Okay. Sounds like a plan. All right. I remember when we were growing up, there was a a little nursery rhyme that said, Jack and Jill went up the hill to fetch a pail of water. Jack fell down and broke his crown, and Jill came tumbling after. (laughs) And that was kind of it. We just kind of left it there. Well, what did we do for Jack's crown, and what did we do for Jill's possible broken bones? So we're going to talk about that today. You said that in your area, it's a big football area, right? You guys really have a lot of football. Okay. So now that the air is warming up, now that people are going outside, what are some of your typical injuries that you start seeing rolling into the pediatric ER? So football season is about to start. We haven't got as much as many of the football players. Currently, we're seeing a lot of the soccer players and the baseball players. I actually worked this weekend, so all of those kind of injuries are fresh, fresh in my mind. And mm-hmm. So I can tell you, like for baseball, um, people get strains and sprains from sliding into base. They can get broken bones. And the occasional, what I saw this weekend was someone who was playing baseball, and instead of catching the ball with their hand, they caught it with their eye. And so Ooh. they had an injury to their eye. So uh, those are things that you would see with baseball. Mm. And, of course, it's soccer season also in my area. So kids are playing soccer, and the soccer is kind of scrapes and sprains also and some broken bones, and occasionally also some concussions with soccer. Mm-hmm. And then, it's, of course, the weather gets warmer. The younger kids are outside playing on their bikes, and mm. 
um, playing in the streets and playing on playgrounds. So kids um, falling off bikes, broken bones, and scrapes, but also occasionally concussions, or definitely concussions with falling off bikes, especially if they're not wearing their helmets. Mm. And then finally, the kids who are falling off the monkey bars at the playgrounds and are getting broken bones is a very common fracture that um, is associated with falling off of monkey bars, or that we see often from falling off monkey bars, which are called supercondylar fractures, mm. which are small breaks or breaks in the bones. And kids mostly that are, have immature skeletons, so mm-hmm. have not hit puberty. Right. And they'll have a supercondylar fracture, um, which is a bone that, or a break above the elbow or right at the elbow. Mm. It's probably a better way of explaining it. Mm-hmm. And they'll come into the emergency department. And those are the kinds of patients I saw this weekend, really. I mean, almost oh. all of those variety of injuries that I talked about I saw this weekend. As it was beautiful. We didn't see as many of the respiratory illnesses. We saw a lot more of the, um, you know, I call this the trauma season. So mm-hmm. we, this is the season of the warm weather and people are getting injured because it's beautiful. And why not go outside and have fun. Right, right. <laughs> so what can we do? What are some things that we can do to make sure that our kids are having fun, but that they're staying safe with some of these everyday activities, like how you said, we're going out, we're riding bikes, or they're in the street, you know, they're near the street playing with their balls, or they're down at the local baseball field, and they're throwing the ball around. What are some things that we can look towards as the adults in the situation to make sure that our kids are safe? So, lots of things we can do to help prevent some of the injuries. Uh, definitely educating your children about wearing proper gear while playing a sport. So, if they're um, playing baseball, they're wearing their hat and a helmet. If they're playing football, they're wearing their helmet. Mm-hmm. If they're playing soccer, they're not doing hitters. Um, and, they're, mm-hmm. and everyone, of course, is warming up and um, stretching their muscles. Those are things that they can do to prevent the sports-related injuries. Definitely um, playing safely, obeying the rules of your coach. So oftentimes we will hear that football players have gotten injured because they're playing a little bit more aggressively and more rough than what their football player, than what the coach had recommended or what is recommended. So those are some of the things to do to prevent some injuries. Uh, The other kind of uh, playground injuries is definitely watching your children while they're on the monkey bars, for example, and kind of watching and educating them about safety when they're actually, you know, not dangling by one arm, holding on by two arms, and also just making sure that they are watching what they're doing when um, when they're climbing. When they're riding a bicycle, of course, definitely, definitely wearing a helmet will help prevent some serious injuries to the skull and um, contents of the brain past the skull. Mm-hmm. Also, um, watching for crossing for vehicles in the street when your child is riding a bike, so teaching them you know, how to cross the street safely. You can definitely have them wear shin guards and knee guards and elbow pads, and those will help in, um, to kind of support them in a fall. May not help them from getting a broken bone, but as I mentioned in our last um, series of uh, last discussion, broken bones can be fixed, broken brains not so much. So I am much more concerned about you making sure your your um, child has a helmet on their head um, as opposed to the shin guards and um, the elbow pads. 
I know. It's so interesting that you brought that back up because I actually used your little your little snippet right there when we were going outside here recently. Um, you know, my kids wanted to go. It was getting warmer, you know, wonderful air outside. It's, oh, can we go get some fresh air? We want to ride our bikes. And I said, sure. And it was to put the helmets on. And it was, oh, this is just a little bit, you know, it's making us, you know, it's taking time. And I said, you know what Dr. Keisha said? <laughs> And I said exactly what you said. And they looked at me and they said, what do you mean? And I said, these helmets are to protect your head and your brain. And it was so funny, magically, because it was somebody else. Okay, no problem. We'll put the helmets on. So thank you for that parenting absolutely, tip. Absolutely, absolutely. It's so funny when I'm at work, definitely the parents will, when I mentioned about wearing a helmet, and they were like, I told them all the time and their kid rushed out of the house and didn't do it. They'll say, listen, look, the doctor's now saying it. And, you know, the parents are, like, re- like so happy that we're reinforcing what they have been saying at home. What I just tell parents is you just have to continue to reinforce. And then, of course, if it is not done, then, you know, there's for I recommend punishment because mm-hmm. that is so important. You know, there's nothing you can do to go backwards and protecting the head after you've had your injury. So it's really important that your child from a very young age realizes the importance of wearing a helmet, just like there's that importance of putting on your seatbelt or being safe strapped into your car seat. You know, if you start this early, then it would be just second nature for them to just put their helmet on with their bike. They won't think anything of it. And so something that is definitely important for parents to instill in their children. Yes, yes. Thank you so much for taking time to make sure that we understand that point. I want us to move on and meander through the topic of concussions. You started talking about how, you know, with soccer, you started, you'd use a term, I think you used the term heading, and you were talking about football season, you know, um, that may not be so big as that you can get um, a lot of direct head injury. What is a concussion? Can you explain to our community what a concussion is? So a concussion is a microscopic injury to the brain that is not generally visualized on standard imaging exams. I explain it to parents as similar to an ankle sprain. It's a strain of the brain or a strain Mm. of the brain. Okay. So we diagnose concussion based on symptoms that a patient has. So you have a direct blow or force that is applied to the brain in some manner so a hitter in soccer, a um, tackle in football, falling off your bicycle, skiing and um, snow skiing and falling down on um, the, your skis. Uh, those are multiple different ways that pe- people can get concussions. Little kids who uh, tumble down steps or stairs mm-hmm. when they're walking. Those are you know different ways that we see people come in with a concussion. And some of the symptoms that people will have will be headaches, vomiting, drowsiness, some slurred speech, some um, mm. some difficulty thinking clearly, irritable, sad, kind of feeling really tired, sleeping more than usual, having problems falling asleep. Just multiple different symptoms that patients will present with. Some of the ones I've mentioned. Um, early on were the ones you'd see right away and some of the things like sleeping and sadness problems you see later on okay um, and, you know can be days to weeks after being um, seen typically what we see initially are kind of headaches um, nausea vomiting feeling kind of slowed occasionally double vision and also um, 
forgetfulness to the or not remembering what happened. Okay. People can have a loss of consciousness with a concussion, so they can be passed out or they cannot be passed out for the concussion. Okay. But I like to equate the ankle sprain example for like comparing it to an ankle sprain because the healing process from a concussion is quite similar in that with the ankle sprain you don't walk around on your ankle when you sprained it, you rest it. And the same thing with a concussion. Mm. So with a concussion, once you've been diagnosed with a concussion, your doctor will prescribe rest. Okay. And they'll say you need to rest your brain. And so that is the way we diagnose we diagnose concussion based on symptoms. Now there are times you will hear that a patient was diagnosed with a concussion. They had a picture of their brain, commonly called a CAT scan, would be the image people have gotten done, or a CT scan, and then they'll say, oh, they had a CT scan, and then they were diagnosed with concussion. Hmm. So the CT scan did not show that the patient had some concussion. It basically showed that there was no injury, a traumatic brain injury, so a bleed in your brain or a hemorrhage in your brain, which is blood in your brain, or a broken bone. Okay. And so it ruled, all, ruled out those kind of surgical or more um, traumatic injuries to the brain. Other traumatic injuries to the brain is another way of saying that. Mm-hmm. And therefore, the symptoms must be associated with a concussion. Okay. Now, lots of times the doctor would not have done any imaging and diagnosed based on symptoms, but there are some times where they did imaging to rule out other injuries and then came down to that concussion. Okay. Okay. I, I like the way that you put that, that the imaging was part of the full workup to make sure that we didn't miss something else. Absolutely. Very okay. well said. Okay. Now, how common are concussions? Very common. So there's about one and a half to three and a half million sports-related concussions a year. And they have been increasing by about, I think, 60% over the last 10 years. Lots of different thought thought processes behind that. There's a lot more competitive sports. Kids Mm. are starting playing to play sports as early as four. We've all seen the pictures of the kids in little, the peewee football mm-hmm. um, uniforms at five and six years old. Mm-hmm. And also um, the National Football League, not necessarily themselves, but some of the um, <laughs> people who comment on the Football League has said that since uh, 1970, when football was actually advertised on TV, because of the need to dramatize the sport, there has actually been much, much more injuries. And so wow. the plays are harder, the kids are playing harder, the professional players are playing harder, and the um, younger athletes are kind of you know, mimicking what they see on TV, okay. and that's why we're seeing more of those injuries. Wow. Okay. Now I was listening to, I believe it was NPR a while ago and here in our local area, they were talking about headers. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly in soccer and how that has been actually, um, they've stopped doing that. They were talking about how in the younger leagues for adolescents, adolescent and, and below leagues, they are actually anymore in soccer. Absolutely. Yes, that is very true. So that is how, that is one of the ways that 
players who are playing soccer can get concussions is if they do a hitter. In fact, my son plays a probably 20 Sundays a year. I was calculating yesterday mm. when I was at a game, and uh, a couple of weeks ago, I saw him do a header, and, you know, the mom, pediatric emergency medicine doctor in me was yelling, <laughs> no headers! Right, so, right. Absolutely. Um, soccer is it's banned in hit for his league. They're not supposed to do it, and, you know, also it's banned because, and it's banned because of the concern for concussion. Okay. So that is definitely um, part of the reason, and that's actually when females get concussions, so female players, mm-hmm. it's very frequently from playing soccer, whereas for male players, when they get concussions, it tends to be more football and basketball. Okay. And that partially has to just do with what sports is, um, you know, women are playing versus males are playing. But yes, soccer can definitely be, it's not as thought of as usually as much more one of the, uh, I guess, quote unquote, dangerous type sports, but it definitely can be in the the realm of the hitters okay. and tends to be the much more common injuries of course are in football and basketball mm-hmm. but definitely soccer is another area okay now how important is early intervention when we're talking about concussions definitely very important so as um some of people may be aware every state in the country now has a law requiring um education of the players, the coaches, the families at the beginning of the season about concussion. Wow. So different variety of education is done. So in the state that I live in, for example, if you are in a school-related sporting event, at the beginning of the season, a pamphlet is required to be passed out to the players and the coaches, of course, are aware and then what happens is that if a player is diagnosed with concussion, there is it is required that or not diagnosed with concussion. If there is a signs or shows signs or symptoms of a concussion, then they must be removed from play and evaluated by a healthcare provider immediately. Mm. So that is a requirement in my state, and um, different states have different laws. Okay, the state of Virginia actually requires that those same things, but also they require testing before the player goes back into the sport. Okay. Other states just require that a healthcare provider clear them before they go back to playing sports. So early intervention, recognizing that a, that a player has a concussion, is really important. The reason why is because, as I mentioned earlier, you heal from a concussion by uh, by resting your brain. Okay. And so if the player is not taking the time to rest their brain and they have a second concussion within a short period of time after the first, they are much more likely to have more serious effects from that. Mm. In fact, what kind of started this snowball or um, very large um, amount of all these states actually having um, the concussion laws are is a a patient or a person who was actually in the state of Washington. His name was Zach Lifestead. It was actually a very smart student who was playing football, was tackled by his opponent. Um, was patient, the official actually called timeout. He was, the, the student was sidelined for about three and a half plays, but then put back into the game, got a second blow in the third quarter of this game, and then basically passed out, collapsed, was airlifted to the hospital, was hospitalized for nine months, ended up having a neurologic debilitating condition. Oh, my. And so this happened in Washington State, and this is actually that's the first state that actually implemented a concussion policy. Wow. So, and then after that, which 
which was in 2009, it kind of just basically each state kind of does a, you know, how that often happens here yes. in the United States. It becomes a very popular thing to do, which is wonderful. This became a popular thing to do, and each state has now implemented their own version of this law, and, and, and the last state to do that was Mississippi in 2014. So about half of the states in the country have um, laws that are similar to the ones in Washington State that basically requires coaches and players to be aware of uh, concussions, the player be removed from the game, and if anyone is, suspects them of having a concussion. Okay. Wow. Oh, so I was looking on your website that you're affiliated with, the, the organization you're affiliated with, that is the choa.org, and it's the Children's Health Care of Atlanta. And they had on there a wonderful array of different tools that people can use. And I saw something called a concussion kit. And it seemed like it was something for healthcare providers. There was also something for coaches and schools. Can you tell us a little bit about the information that's out there for people to get? Right. So that is a very wonderful website. As we talked about earlier, where I live here in Georgia, there's a lot of football. Everybody plays football. So, of course, that's one of the more common injuries. And, of course, one of the most common sports that people actually get concussions in. And so... Because we, of course, are in a high-prevalence area, we have lots of very established programs at our hospital, Children's Healthcare of Atlanta, for concussions. And so on the website, there is a concussion toolkit for providers to kind of educate them on how to diagnose and manage patients and how to educate their patients and players about concussions. Then there's the toolkit specifically for trainers and athletic professionals and what they should do to um, educate and manage their players. The, in our community, what happens is the concussion program actually goes out and the concussion physicians actually educate the general pediatricians in the area to manage concussions because many of these um, illnesses or many of these concussions can be managed by the pediatrician. Oftentimes they will be diagnosed by the emergency medical care provider and then referred back to their pediatrician for follow-up. So educating them was very important. But these, there's also resources where parents can kind of look at what they can do to help uh, prevent and manage and treat concussion. We started talking briefly mm -hmm. about how concussion was actually managed by taking a rest of the brain. But I'll just kind of go in a little bit more in detail. Yes, so, please. Once you've had a concussion and you've been diagnosed by a healthcare professional, they'll tell you you need to rest your brain. So rest your brain means nothing that's going to tax your brain. So here's a couple of things that are often surprising to parents so and upsetting to the teenagers. So <laughs> one of the things is no screen time. So mm. no TV, no video games, no iPhones, no iPads, no, nothing that has a screen. Yeah. So screens actually kind of tax the brain. So that is recommended for 24 hours. You're just basically sitting there, laying around. I tell people maybe a simple board game, but probably sleep is your best bet. Mm. It's a time for you if you're feeling a, well enough to maybe reconnect with your family and not look at a screen. <laughs> so, um, but anyway, so that's for the first 24 hours. If you are symptom-free, meaning no headache, no, um, no vomiting, no nausea, uh, no slur of speech or confusion, you're just kind of feeling improve from the concussion after that then they can slowly start introducing the screen time you know a few minutes a day the other thing that we will say which is also surprising to parents and kind of hard for me to say but i know i have to is no school 
oh. the pool is also taxing. So, you know, imagine, you know, we just finished a lot of, the schools in our area just finished a lot of the standardized testing. So imagine you've had a concussion and then you have to go to school and do a standardized test. Wow, that is definitely stress on the brain. Yes. So also no school. Okay. For how long? So, good question. So generally we say until you're you can go to school symptom free. So if you have 24 hours of no symptoms and you're feeling fine, you can start school that following day. So let's say you got concussed on Sunday, you have no school on Monday, you felt great on Monday, no none of those symptoms I mentioned before, you can go to school on Tuesday, but if you start to feel those symptoms while you're at school, then you should come home. Okay. In our guidelines, we actually recommend considering maybe just a half a day of school as opposed to a full day of school that when you start back. Hmm. Okay. So, okay. So resting the brain is really important. Uh, another reason why we get the pediatrician involved is because, as you can imagine, you're missing days from school, and we give notes from school from the emergency department, but you may need more notes to for missing school, so your pediatrician can help you with that. Okay. But let's say you go to school on Tuesday and you still have a you start getting a headache or you still start feeling nauseous or you get sleepy, then you should go home and wait another 24 hours before you go back to school. So you would have no school on Wednesday, and assuming you had no symptoms on Wednesday, you would go back on Thursday. But if you still had symptoms, you would not, on Wednesday you would not go back until you were 24 hours without symptoms. Wow. Oh yes, this is probably a little taxing for for parents and, and guardians. <laughs> but Absolutely. this is this is Absolutely. something that we have to do to rest the brain so that it can heal. Just like you said, a sprain. You wouldn't walk exactly. around. You wouldn't put your full weight on a sprain. So this is the same thing as not putting the full weight on the brain. Absolutely. That is exactly what we are saying. Okay. Wow. That is, that is exactly what we're saying. So very, very important. One thing that we do know is that most people who are diagnosed with a concussion, most of the players are about are able to go back within about three weeks and, okay. and up to 10 to 14 days. So, um, you know, the symptoms kind of generally do resolve fairly quickly. And so generally players do not miss that much time from school or that much time from sports. Now, okay. we didn't mention, we mentioned screen time, we mentioned school, we didn't talk about sports. Yes, so I was going to ask. No return to sports until you're cleared by your health care provider. And so most players after being diagnosed, all players after being diagnosed with concussion should not expect to be cleared to go to school until, um, or go to play rather, for a minimum of one week. So you're diagnosed mm. with a concussion on Sunday. Or let me try a Monday. It's a better way of saying it. You're diagnosed on, on Monday. You're then seen seven days later by your healthcare provider for so next Monday, and they say, "Oh, you haven't had symptoms for you know since that first day. Great. You can then go back back and play sports. So they'll sign you off, sign out your paper, and they'll clear you to go to sports. But if you've had symptoms within the last 24 hours, if you haven't been able to return to school, then you definitely do not need to be going back to football, soccer, or whatever." Okay. That's what we call a contact sport. Contact. And we need to... Generally what the terminology we use to kind of encompass all of those sports. Okay. And we need to emphasize the importance on being totally honest with your healthcare provider and not trying to skirt through the system because it is really based on your symptoms. You have to be very upfront with how you're feeling. Absolutely. Absolutely. There was a study that actually showed that only 47% of high school football players actually reported their symptoms that were a concussion. The 
because they, of course, you know, didn't want to be removed from the game. Mm-hmm. They didn't think the symptoms were severe enough. They didn't realize their symptoms were consistent with a concussion. And so very important that, you know, parents, you know, question their players, their, their um, children, asking them if they have these symptoms, look at them very carefully and ask them if they have anything going on so they can, you know, make sure that they're not missing symptoms. And if they see anything that does not seem normal to them, you know, their kid is sleeping for 12 hours a day mm. or, you know, complaining about a headache, talking slow, seems confused, then they should recognize those are signs of concussion and that their player should definitely be evaluated if not, if they have not already been evaluated. Okay. Wow, this was some good information today, Dr. Doe. I really appreciate it. I love when you come on and you and you're passionate about the the adolescent and younger younger population that we have in medical in our medical care and you are so succinct. Now you are the editor of a bi-monthly newsletter. It's called PEM Connect. Is that for healthcare providers or for parents and families? providers. We actually okay. are educating pediatricians in our area. So in our role and what we're trying to do is basically connect the primary care provider with the emergency medical care provider. We're taking care of these mutual patients and we're sharing these patients. And it's very important that we have good communication between those two groups. And so this newsletter is one avenue or outlet that we're using with our the healthcare providers to just educate them on what we do, our role, how we can communicate better between the groups because they send their patients to us and then we are, you know, this big um, one of the largest children's hospitals in the country, mm-hmm. and when you combine our three campuses, we are the largest, and so that is makes it harder for people to kind of get in contact with us on a on an easy basis. So we're just trying to bring it, make it easier for them to connect with us, and so we can work together for our, for the betterment of our mutual patients. And so that's the benefit of our newsletter. Wonderful. How can um, healthcare providers that are in your area or not even in your area, but want to connect with you so that they can possibly learn how they can do the same thing in their area? How can healthcare providers connect with you? So definitely by connecting with me by my email will be one way. So it's Keisha, K-I-E-S-H-A dot Fraser, F-R-A-S-E-R at emory.edu. I check my email probably 10 times a day. So um, by all means, that would be probably the best way to connect with me. And then I could then set you up with our uh, link for our newsletter that will be eventually posted in the next month on a website. We currently are just emailing it to providers in our area, but will then eventually be posted on a website. And I did not mention that the newsletter is also geared towards community emergency medicine physicians too. So okay. not just the pediatricians, but the community emergency medicine physicians. And so that would be another avenue or another way to connect with us. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Dr. Doe, for taking time out of your very busy schedule to sit down with us again in the community and go over a very, very important topic and how to keep our kids safe. We can't wait for you to come back and sit down in the community again. Until next time, guys, we'll talk to you later. Bye. Bye.